Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. Life is not always what it seems. Most of the time we wear masks, masks that hide reality, masks that protect, masks that lie, masks that make things look better than they really are. We use masks to become other people, an elaborate masquerade. Good morning. Welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? All right. Uh, Well, we are in our last week of the Masquerade series. It should be fun. So far, we've talked about some of these different masks that we wear in our lives that either help us hide or protect ourselves. And that's what the whole thing was about. So we've worn the mask of persona. That means when we uh, try to imitate being somebody else or simply try to hide the real me. Then we talked about last week, the mask of goodliness and godliness. That was a lot of fun. I'll let you go and figure out what that one's about. It's on the internet if you need to. And today, uh, one more category of mask that I, I think will help us as we remove this, we'll be able to have a little bit more freedom in our lives. So uh, the first year that I taught school, there was a lady that taught in the next classroom, and, and she was one of those really sweet, nice Christian ladies, which is somewhat encouraging when you're a Christian and you're in school too, and you think there's somebody you can go to for comfort and encouragement. Except that, do y'all know sometimes Christians, we, we tend to say some stupid stuff. Have y'all ever been around us? And, and you hear the things that come, anyway, I'm not picking on all of us, but she was one of those people that had a cliche that like half of the cliche was from the Bible and the other half was not. Y'all, y'all know those, you get them on like Hallmark cards, you hear these things all the time, like, well, that almost sounded right. And, and so she had great sayings for everything. If you were having a good day, she'd find a way to, to mess it up. If you're having a bad day, she'd find a way to mess it up a little worse. And one of them was because she would always use it. I think the most common one, because here I am talking about her about 20 years later, so I, I remember it. She would always say, well, God helps those who help themselves. I would always talk about how, well, we need to, to pray or, or see God or something. She's like, no, 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 no. We just need to do our best because God helps those who help themselves, which sounds kind of good, except it really is that idea of you can handle this and you do all that you can do and you give God your best and you work really, really hard. And maybe if there's just something left over, you can go to God if you have to. And the reason that she, she liked to say this phrase, of course, is because of values. All the things that we say indicate our values. And so obviously one of her values was to be strong and independent. And uh, th- those can be good values for, for some folks. Most of us in here would say, yes, I think those are good values. It's in our, our history all throughout the world. If you look at all the wars and all the conquering, the idea of being strong and independent and and then in America, we've always had that as, as being one of our things. That's how we became America, right? We were strong and independent. And we're right here near Fort Jackson, so we've got a lot of military folks, and it's probably a value to be strong and independent. The problem is, in God's kingdom, those aren't values. It's nowhere in God's way of being that he wants his children to be strong and independent. He actually likes it when we admit our weaknesses and we become dependent. This whole idea that God helps those who help themselves is so far from the truth. Do you know what the Bible actually would teach us? God helps those who can't help themselves. It's called the gospel, and his name is Jesus. And that was the whole point, that no matter how good you can try to act, as Chris was talking about with communion a minute ago, we have a perfectly holy God, and we're not. And there is no way, no matter how much of our best and how much we try to do, that we will ever be able to help ourselves to heaven and and to back in a right relationship with God. Everything that God has done for us is based out of the very simple fact 
We can't help ourselves. And so I guess by now most of you recognize how that cliche is simply not biblical. What I want to do today, though, in order for us to remove the third mask, I want to blow up one of our little Christian sayings. People say it all the time. Matter of fact, you may recognize that one I was just messing with is not in the Bible, but most people think the one I'm about to say next is actually a Bible verse. But in order to set us free, and I think God wants to remove another type of mask from us, we're going to remove the mask of being strong and independent, having strength and independence by messing up this phrase. How many of you have ever heard this before? God will not give you more than you can handle. God will not give you more than you can handle. Has anyone ever said that to you on one of the worst days of your life? Did it help? No, it doesn't help. And just so you know, it's not in the Bible. It's not biblical at all, which is why it doesn't help. So I want to set us free from this today, if it's okay. Y'all ready to do this? And I want to show you where it comes from, because, you know, we're, we're famous for memorizing half a Bible verse and making up the other half. It's how you got through algebra class anyway, right? A squared plus B squared equals X, Y, and Z. I don't know, you know, I mean, who remembers that stuff? So we get half of it. Uh, the other half of it we make up on the, on the spot. So I'm going to show you the Bible verse that this began with, and then we'll see what we can do with that. 1 Corinthians 10 is where we get the original idea. It says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Just so you understand, what God is promising is that whatever temptation this world has to offer, he has a way out. But that has nothing to do with hard circumstances. Temptation and hard circumstances are not the same thing. This is saying that when some, something sinful comes your way, whatever it is that you're prone to want to say yes to, that God would like you to say no to, he's got a way out. I could do an entire series on how to find a way out. So I'm not going to touch on that. I just want us to understand this is not the point. Just because God will help you avoid temptation is not the same promise that there will not be something difficult in your life. So here's the problem with this cliche that God will not give you more than you can handle. And the whole problem behind every bit of it is this idea, first of all, uh, the cliche turns you inward. It's what I can do. I am strong. I can handle it. I can endure this. I have what it takes to succeed. Obviously, God would not give me more than I can handle. And God created me. Everything I need is inside of me. So God must be sending this to me. I bet it's a test. And in order to prove that I can pass the test and show God how strong I am, I can't ask anybody else for help. That would be cheating. My algebra teacher taught me that one too, right? And so we try to stand strong totally on our own. We don't tell anybody what we're going through and nobody is there for us. And then the second problem, of course, is that this wonderful cliche causes us to actually reject God. See, as we just proved a minute ago, when we're experiencing that worst day of your life and you honestly think you're encountering something that you cannot handle and someone comes to you and says, well, you know, God is sovereign. God's in control and he wouldn't give you more than you can handle. Who do you hate now? God. I mean, he's the one that put us here. And he's the one that says that I can handle it. That's why he put me here. He's just doing this to show that I'm super strong. Look, let's face reality here. Cancer. 
experiencing the loss of a loved one long, long before you thought it should happen. Experiencing a divorce you never thought would happen. Months, if not years, without employment, and yet the mailman keeps bringing the bills. And somebody looks at you and says, well, God wouldn't give you this if you couldn't handle it. Does that make you want to worship or reject God? You see, as a pastor, I find out that it's, it's usually in people's darkest days. If we have messed up theology, and if we have weird cliches like this running around our head, when, when things get tough, we leave God, which is the very opposite of what God would actually have us to do. And so I want to share with you what I think is the answer. Can I, can I show you in the Bible that that cliche is actually the opposite of what God wants for us? You guys would like to find the, the true answer, the one that's actually in there? It comes out of Psalm 121. I, actually, I could go through a bunch of verses. We're just going to look at this one. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. Not inside me. I need help. And I don't have it all. I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the strength. I need, I need my help to come from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. I need somebody who could, I couldn't make heaven. I couldn't make earth. I can't make money where I don't have any. I can't make me whole where I'm not whole. I can't make me healthy where I'm sick. I can't do this. I need the Lord who's the maker of heaven and earth. Because he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. The one who's in charge of keeping watch over you is not going to take a nap. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And the misunderstanding we have and the bad thought theology that creeps into it is as much as that promised and as wonderful as that is, it did not say that you'll never have a tough day. It just said that God will be there and that God will have you. And it started out with that first phrase, I lift up my eyes to the hills. This is one of the shortest psalms in all of the book of psalms, which is in the Bible. And, and the whole point to this is it was a psalm they would sing on their way to worship. You need a little song like this on your way to church in the morning, don't you? Because you know you're sitting in the car and you're waiting on the spouse. We won't talk about which spouse takes the longest to get dressed, because you know. But you're sitting in the car wondering why we're going to be late to church one more time. And then as you're getting the kids out the door, one of them wants one more sip of their orange juice, and now it's all down the pretty dress that used to be white, and now it's white and yellow, and it's like a rainbow, and you got to go change clothes, and you're late again. But it's okay if the kid's late, because the mama's still upstairs put on makeup. But anyway, he gets... And you need a song. They used to travel to Jerusalem to worship, and so that what they were saying is, as I trek down this road, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Because as long as I'm looking at where I'm going, I won't accidentally end up over by the ocean in Galilee fishing. If I can just see where I'm headed for and keep my eyes on what I'm looking at, and I know it was silly, but really that'll help you on Sunday morning. We are going to worship. There's an opportunity to get mad at each other here. We might be a little late, Mr. First Song, but we are going to worship. Let me keep my eyes. And this is what all of life is supposed to be about, is keeping our eyes it says, I lift my head up. Because when your head is down, you're, you're looking at earth. Woe is me. I'm broke. I'm poor. I'm sick. I'm this. I'm that. I'm whatever. And the whole point is I will lift up my eyes to where I'm headed. Where are you headed? I hope where we're headed is life with God. A life that glorifies God. 
a life that might have some potholes along the way and over there are those people who quit talking to me and over there is the bankruptcy and over there is the sickness I can't heal. But in front of me is life with God. And if I can just keep my eyes on that. I think it's fair to ask why God allows us to endure some things we can't handle. I don't know about you, but I'd like to know why. And why there are bad things that happen, look, that's a whole other message in and of itself, and the answer is pretty simple. God set up a perfect world with perfect humanity, and we're the ones that messed it up. But we're also the ones that like to blame him It's not perfect. Have y'all noticed that? I mean, if you ever try to talk with somebody who's not really worshiping God, they'll point out all that's wrong in the world as though he did that. Or as though he's just going to snap his fingers and make it all right. Well, then that would take away anyone's ability to worship him freely. And more importantly, he is going to make it all right. That's the end of the book. And what's important is when he does that, that your eyes are lifted up and looking toward the hills. That's what he's going for. But even with that little theology lesson, we still ask the question, well, then why does God let things happen to me that I cannot handle? Why doesn't God know I'm not going to take this well I can't do this on my own. He can keep this one thing out of my life. And the answer is because he is our creator God. And he created us because he wants to have a part in our lives. And I think this is what we miss out on and misunderstand as humans. We know he's our creator and we know we're all humanity, but we think the relationship between God, the creator, and humanity is like a a seventh grade kid with an anthill for a science project. You ever seen anybody get an ant farm? I don't know why people do things like that. Have you seriously ever been to one of those like little science and craft stores and you can buy an ant farm? You can't pet these things. You cannot play with these things. If you so much as take the lid off to even try to enjoy one of them, You're going to be itching in bed that night and you're going to need an exterminator. Why does anybody want an ant farm? But it's the way we see humanity. There's a a seventh grade kid up there, you know, and he plays jokes on us every now and then. But us down here, we're just going to work with all our might. Little worker ants, you know. Let's dig little tunnels here and build little houses there. And let's promote somebody to queen every four years. And I mean, seriously, like we get totally distracted with what an ant farm is. But that's not at all the relationship God sees. What God sees is a lot more like a parent and a child. Why do we have children? I've got four of them. Not because I just wanted to produce them and leave them. You know, there are animals. You can go watch the Science Channel or the National Geographic or whatever, and you can discover there are animals that give birth, and that's the last they see of each other. But we're not that way. And here's what's funny. We're created in God's image. He's not that way. He wants a part in our lives. And as long as we've got it covered, we don't give him a part. I've got an eight-year-old son named Nate. And many of you, if you've been around, you've heard some stories. You kind of know that our doctors told us he wasn't going to live eight and a half plus nine months years ago. They told us that if he did live, he would live in a vegetative state for a very short period of time. And it's almost as though he heard them. (laughs) Because he does everything he can to prove them wrong. And I don't even know why. I call him Nate the Great all the time. 
Hey, Nate the Great, how you doing? Hey, Nate the Great, how was school today? Hey, Nate the Great, come help me. I'm just always, because I'm determined to build him up where the enemy wanted to tear him down. And his thing, we got four kids, four very unique kids. Y'all know I'm talking about parents, you know? You're like, hey, I need some help. And then there's somebody who's going to pretend you didn't speak, right? You know, but, but Nate, he's the one that's always like, I'll help, I'll help. I can do it. I can do it, Daddy. I'll do it. And so like when the groceries come home, you know, let's go out and unload the groceries in the van. He wants the heaviest ones. He's like, here, Daddy, you can have the bread. I'm going to get the heavy ones. And so he gets the milk and the cans and all that sort of stuff. I don't let him carry the eggs, but he gets all the, the heavy stuff. And, and he's, look, Daddy, I can carry the heavy stuff. I'm strong, aren't I? Yes, you are, Nate the Great. You are great. You are strong. But he tries to do everything in his own strength because he wants to show me that he's strong and he's got this thing. But he has missed out on something that you and I miss out on. I have never, ever been impressed with his ability to live without me. Matter of fact, I don't take that positively at all. Because when he does try something and finally does get a bag that's too heavy and then the bag bursts and then everything goes rolling under the garage or, or across the garage and under another car or something like that. Now we got a mess to clean up. If you had just let me help. I want a part in his life. And I'm not impressed by his determination to prove that he can do life without me. We were made for this. We have a creator God who created us to share life with us. And when the, the tough days come, we can blame Adam, but we need to turn to God. It's really very simple. So I want to share with you a passage that should encourage you. There's a guy named Paul that wrote two-thirds of our New Testament. And the passage I'm about to read to you, really, if he wrote it today, we would medicate him, we would commit him, and we would disqualify him from ministry. And yet, he got to write like most of our New Testament. And we follow his words. Here's what he said when he encountered a day he couldn't handle. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our own strength, I added own, that we despaired of life itself. In fact, we expected to die. I don't know about you, but I can tell you, I've had many days in many different circumstances where there was no way out. Y'all ever been there? Somebody tries to tell you, it's, look, look, God's got an answer. God cannot answer this. I'm just telling you, this is going to end poorly. And yet here I am today. Somehow, the way we see the world in those moments, just like Paul saying, look, we, we would have preferred to die. We despaired of life itself. Now, if many of you stood up right now and said, you know what, life is so bad, I don't even want tomorrow. We would, we would get medication for you. That's what people think maybe should have been done here, but that's not. The case. What I think needs to be done here is we need to take this mask of strength and independence and we need to throw it away. And we need to be able to look at each other and say, I don't know if I can do tomorrow anymore. I don't know if I can do that relationship anymore. I don't know if I can do that job anymore. Because look what happens when you're that honest. Here's the next step. He says, but as a result, 
We stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God. You see, you're not going to learn to rely on God. You're not going to turn to God until you get to a point. It's like, I just can't do this anymore. God, seriously, another day with that boss acting that way? God, another day in this marriage without you showing up and fixing it? God, another day with more bills than I have money without you showing up? I don't think I can do it. So God, this is the point where I need my son to go, I can't lift this bag. Well, guess what? That's why daddy's here to help. That's why I'm not sitting on the couch. And that's our image of God. We're going through the hard times, lifting the heavy bags out of the back of the van, and God's in there on the couch ignoring us. But it doesn't work that way. That's not who he is. That's not his nature. He's right there just saying, I, I, I. So we stopped relying on ourselves, and we learned to rely on God who raises the dead. The one who raised Jesus, who was crucified on the cross and buried, the one who raised him from the dead, he can raise the dead stuff in you. And if you don't think there's dead stuff in you, you're missing it. Because when you feel that way, you have no hope. Your hope is dead. When you don't want to see tomorrow, your vision for life is dead. When you can't stand another moment with that person, your marriage or that relationship or that friendship is dead. But God can put hope where there's never been hope. I think everybody here can relate with me. We don't have time for an open mic. But I'm willing to bet every one of you can remember a time where you thought there was no way for you to feel better. And then somehow, God got in it. And you found yourself in a place where things did get better. And God shows us he helps. But you know what I love? The next sentence. We stopped relying on ourselves. We learned to rely on God who raises the dead but you also must help us. We can't do it alone. And here's the whole point. You're not supposed to. And we're supposed to talk to each other for help. But if we go back to the very beginning, I can handle this. God will not give me more than I can handle. This is a test of my faith. I cannot tell people it would be cheating. I can't tell Chris I need him. I can't tell Brad I need him. I got to do it on my own because I can't admit I'm weak. Right? How many of you, when you pray, angels answer the prayers? Can we just be honest? If you were praying and you needed financial help, did you wake up and have an angel with a, a bar of gold at the foot of your bed? When you were sick and you needed to be healed, did an angel show up with a stethoscope or whatever? And You see, here's the thing. God works through God's people. He works through us. That's why Paul said, follow the ingredients. I was done. I didn't want tomorrow to come. So I depended on God and turned to God's people for help. And this is what we need. We need to turn to one another. And we need to express what we're really going through. We need to be able to say, look, man, I have to tell you the truth. If you say anything stupid to me right now, I don't think I can handle it. So matter of fact, just don't say anything at all. But if you'd like to just hang out and pray for me, that would be cool. Here's the other thing we, we tend to do wrong. We think we need a cliche for everybody's bad day. There are times just don't say anything. Just be quiet. Just say, you know what? 
I got nothing except the Spirit of God, so I'm just going to sit here beside you. Is that okay? I'm just going to sit here and pray for you. Is that okay? Because I've unfortunately, again, with my job description, I get called at all hours of the night for everybody's bad day. And when I first started this job, I'd call up another pastor on the way. Like, what do I say? And I don't know. And some of the best advice I ever got was just listen. Just listen. Let them do what Paul did. I don't know if I can handle this another day. I don't know about tomorrow. You don't have to come up with a stupid cliche. All you have to do is be there. The moral of the story for us is turn to those people. Turn to God, turn to those people. So I'm going to give you three questions that you can ask yourself. There are three great, great questions you could ask yourself every single day of your life anyway. So this is one reason I can give them to you. There's good questions. But the other reason is these questions, if you set them up in your mind, they will destroy the idea that you'll do life without God. And that would be a good thing, right? First question is, what will God do in me? You see, by asking the question, you've already implied there's something God needs to do in you. Therefore, inside of you, there is a weakness, and we need God to help us. That's what it implies. That's a pretty good place to start. And then you can go on and ask this question, what will God do through me? And that admits that I can't do anything unless God is doing it. I've got no strength. I've got no independence. I can't heal your disease. I can't change your financial situation to the degree you need it. Oh, I can't do this on my own. The stuff I'm facing, I'm going to keep facing it if it's up to me. What is God going to do through me? And then the last one is what will God do through us? Because it admits we are strongest and most effective when we're together. Not when we're strong and independent. When you're strong and independent, all you are is a really good target to fall. But when we admit, God, I need you to do something in me. I need you to do something through me. Matter of fact, to be really successful, you got to do it through all of us. Weakness points us to God and to others. I'm going to close with this. It's what Paul also said. So Paul talking about a time when things were not going the way he wanted them to go, where he was weak, something that had bothered him for, for a long time. He said, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul's answer? then I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. One of the main reasons you and I struggle so much and we have so many days we don't think we'll make it to the next day is because we're not boasting of our weakness. We need to be able to come to someone else and say, hey, you know what? <laughs> I'm really struggling. I can't make it on my own. If we could take off this mask of strength and independence and throw it down and start to get honest with each other, start to get honest with God and start to say, you know what? If this life is really a one-man marathon, I'm quitting. Because that's not what God ever intended. 
is I will lift up my eyes to the hills. I will see the target. The target is not a perfect life. The target is that after this messed up life, I am still right with God. That I still turn to Him. I still have fellowship with Him. And that I get to a place in eternity where I can look back on this life and be with God. That's the target. And just so you know, if, if you played that out in your mind as a mental image and you saw yourself walking down the trail by yourself, that's not what the psalm was for. The psalm was for all of the worshipers that were traveling to Jerusalem together to encourage one another. We will lift up our eyes. We will sing this. It's how we keep going. It's kind of like one of those army chant things. What do you call those cadence calls, whatever, you know, those things. Yeah, Army people, yeah, there you go. That's what it is. It's not a one soldier out for his run. It's an entire unit making it to heaven together. You're having a bad day today? Throw your arm over my shoulder. I'm going to help you. God will give you more than you can handle so that you can admit you're weak. So that he can show he is strong. And as long as your theology tells you it's supposed to be any other way, I don't know how you'll make it through the tough days. The tough days will come, and you can't handle it. Amen? I'd like to talk to those folks who have been to church maybe, maybe never, maybe a lot. And you've heard about this guy named Jesus. You may have come to a place where you kind of like him. You might still not. But either way about it, there's an important thing missing. And that is making him the king of your life. The stuff we've talked about with Chris over communion and recognizing Jesus died for me. I want to live for him, period. I want him to be the king of my life. I want to help you make that decision if you've never done that before. I know you can say, well, I have been to church and I do believe Jesus was real. Well, Satan also believes Jesus is real. He's even talked to him, and it hasn't done him much good. So that's not the point. The point is surrendering and saying, you will be my king. You will be my king. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that. It's a very simple little thing. I'm just going to start a conversation between you and God. If you would, all just join me in prayer. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you paid it all. I thank you that you have never intended for me to make my own way, to show myself strong without you. And so today I simply admit, I'm weak at making myself right with you. So Jesus, I thank you for your death. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your love. And I thank you for your mercy. And I have one simple prayer that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. 
You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Grace Life Me and on Twitter at Grace Life Church. Mm-hmm.